welcome to the podcast. Every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to Leadership Podcast. My name is Charlie McMahon. I'm glad you're with me today. I want to take one session to talk about something that in one uh, sense we always talk about, but I want to tell you why it's critical we deal with so much of the art of self-leadership. One of my favorite leadership gurus, D. Hawk, said leaders should carefully calculate how much time and energy they spend investing in people above them, below them, and beside them organizationally. But in that calculation, how much time leaders invest in leading themselves has to be calculated. D. Hawk has been writing, living, thinking this stuff for years and years. He's in the Business Hall of Fame. And he once wrote that effective leaders invest 50% of their time and energies leading themselves. That's right, 50%, 25% up, 20% beside, 5% leading the team, 50% in leading themselves. Why? It's because when we are at our best, we lead our best. Daniel Goleman wrote the famous bestseller, Emotional Intelligence, and he tried to analyze why some leaders discover their fullest potential and others do not. It's what he called emotional self-control, their ability because of superior self-leadership to navigate the highs and lows of life and leadership. I have been in the last year in, in as tough a year as I've ever had. And I've been through some stuff, but this year I've had to do that. I've had to self-lead this year like no other year. And what I've learned over and again is how tough it is to lead yourself. It is a lot easier, I believe, to lead other people. But those who do not lead themselves well collapse on the inside. They become a closed system. Closed systems always implode under their own weight. And so in a culture now where it seems like one leader after another, especially spiritual leaders, seem to be collapsing what are some basic disciplines of self-leadership? Well, this is what I've taught to leadership groups throughout the years. This is not new. Some of you have heard me say this, but I found myself this year reviewing these. They all begin with D, devotion, devotion. I have to continually renew my devotion to my source of life, my heavenly father. And so I have to make sure that I carve out a time in my day and my week where I am alone in the audience of one. I've told before of how Jesus went up to a quiet place, Mark 1.35 says, where he prayed, went to a quiet place. He got up early in the morning, went to a quiet place where he prayed, and I was privileged with Sherry about 10 years ago to go to that place. It was a two-hour hike straight up the side of a mountain. It was such a priority with him to get away and to increase his heart of devotion to his father that 
while there was intense leadership going on in his life, he carved out time for reflection and quietness and prayer. Just get quiet, get alone. It was so important to him that he climbed a straight up a rock two, two hours. And we had handles that they had put in the side of the mountain so that we could, our, our trek up the side of the mountain could be easier. His wasn't. His wasn't. He was practicing the art of self-leadership when he did that. If you don't do that, start with five minutes a day where you get alone, say the Lord's Prayer. You can find that in Matthew 6 and just start repeating that. Get a copy of Jesus Calling by Sarah Collins. Grab a copy of the Message Bible and you can, and uh, you can, the Message Bible is really understandable. Start in the Gospel of John or start in the Gospel of Mark where, where I just referenced devotion. You're increasing your heart. You're increasing your fuel capacity. Second is depth. Our culture really rewards shallowness. You can really impress a crowd with a shallow presentation that makes people laugh or makes people cry. But people of depth last, and you can't fake it. You can't fake it. Jesus talked about four soils, and it was the soil with depth that bore fruit, not the shallow soil that, where the seed sprung up quickly with this emotional surge, and then when the self-initiative plummeted, the fruitfulness plummeted. No, 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 no. Cabot Robert once said, maturity is the ability to stay with the resolution long after the mood in which the resolution was made has passed. And so always working on my depth, that I'm governed by my decision-making, not my emotions. I, I, as I've said, I've been going through a period where if I let my emotions follow me, uh, lead me and I followed the, where they were taking me, I would have quit. I would have quit many times. But this year, there's just been many times, most recently with a, a, some severe criticisms I've gotten, and it just played on my mind. And I, I'll tell you this, you can't microwave depth. You can't drift into depth. You don't drift into emotional self-control. You have to make sure that you allow time and pain and truth to develop depth. That's the equation. Time plus truth plus pain equals depth. There's no other way. Time and truth won't do it because if you're always hip-hop happy day and you don't have pain, then you don't know what it means to kick in and do what you have to do when you need to do it because you've experienced pain. It takes time. It takes the investment of truth, people in my life that I trust, the truth of scripture, the truth of teaching, and then experiencing pain. And that deepens us. It just deepens us. There's no other formula in my experience and you can't microwave it, but you have to, you have to know you can't drift into it either. Number three is discernment. Hebrews 5.14 says that one of the signs of the mature is discernment. There's, there's discernment. That the person of, of discernment has an antenna that is not just an antenna that helps them determine right from wrong. Quite honestly, that's the easier stuff. No, the person of maturity has discernment where they're not just indiscriminately filling their life with more pressures, more possessions, more pursuits than is necessary. With this person of a lack of discernment, they, they're constantly having to prune back in emergency mode fashion. 
But the mature person has learned to have this mental filter. I don't need that. I could use that. I'd like that, but I don't need that. That's a bad thing for me, and I won't do it. That's a good thing. That's a good activity, but that would complicate my life and hinder my leadership, so I'm going to pass. I can't tell you how many times the simple phrase that Jesus used in the parable of the soil, that the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things came in and choked out the good word, the good seed, made it unfruitful. In other words, those aren't bad things. Those aren't bad things. Pressures, possessions, and pursuits aren't bad things, but you can have too many of them. You can have too many of them. And really sustainable self-leadership is discernment. Discernment, thinking about what I don't need that I could have. Number four, diversion. Diversion is not an option. It's intentional self-leadership for your long-term well-being. C.S. Lewis once said, our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. It's one of the reasons God initiated the Sabbath is we'd have a day where we are diverted from our normal work and labor. And this is the importance of having hobbies, having pursuits that are outside your skill set at work. Abraham Heschel, the great Jewish writer on the Sabbath principle, said six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On our Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. And I've told many of you about my basement is where I create. It's a diversion for me. I can, I can waste an hour down there that is not wasted so quickly because my mind gets onto a project. And before I know it, I'm diverted from all this mental energy I've been spending on trying to solve problems. Number five goes along with that one, and that is downshifting. This is really important for leaders because if you don't watch it carefully, the world can get its foot on your accelerator. This has been called the practice of slowing. Now, I'm not for the little house on the prairie life where we go back to the days when, you know, you sat on the porch and did nothing. But I do know the importance of intentionally slowing down, like literally driving slower talking more slowly, praying more slowly, working more slowly, learning how to add gears to your lifestyle. For years, I had two gears. I had first gear and I had sixth gear. I didn't have any in-between gears. So I was either sleeping on the couch, taking a nap because I fell asleep when I came home, or I was going at full emotional, pinned in the red zone speed. And down through the years, I've learned to downshift. I mentioned at Southbrook a few weeks ago that my sister-in-law is my auto agent, auto insurance agent, and we are now using the safe driver discount. And it's been great because I'm a better driver than I used to be, but I've really gotten better now. I mean, I, I, I've always been the, they give you five, you take two more philosophy. And I'm not even doing that now. I'm not totally there on driving the speed limit all the time, as the dri safe driver discount says I ought to do. But I'm at 38 now and at 35, and I feel pretty good about myself. But more than that, it shows me that my agenda is not so important that I can't drive slowly. Do you remember the movie Castaway? Tom Hanks played the manager leader in the 
the particular corporation that this movie was a two-hour commercial for, FedEx. And he's responsible for making sure thousands of packages arrive on time around the world. He lives rapidly and he, he's tortured by the sense that's important what he does. If packages are not on time. If he doesn't do his job well, he has no margin for life in terms of error and the company he's leading to be on time. So he implores him, he implores his employees one day, the clock is your taskmaster. He says one thing goes wrong, one interruption, one delay, we can't catch up. And there's this constant sense that he's always rushed, always rushed, and he's on a plane that crashes. And he becomes a sole castaway in a remote Pacific island for four years. It's not him and Wilson the tennis ball, it's it's just he and Wilson, the volleyball on that island, and he stopped speeding. He downshifted. One of the things about leadership is it's so demanding that if you do not downshift, life will downshift you. It may be physical. It may be emotional. Remember this. The enemy of soul is speed. Constantly high RPMs burn out the soul of a man or a woman over time. And wise, self-leading people downshift. They learn the art of second, third, fourth gear and when to use it. Until next time on the Leadership Podcast, I hope you practice the art of self-leadership. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.